Well, good morning. Good morning. If you still have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to Exodus chapter 8, verses 1 to 32, which will serve as our main text for our message this morning. And thank you once again, Luke, for reading this chapter for us earlier on. But as always, before we begin, let's turn to the Lord for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this Holy Bible and for the chapter before us, Exodus chapter 8. We pray that the Spirit of God might be pleased this morning to enlighten our understanding of the text before us and as always to help us to apply it to our lives so that we might be found faithful servants. For we ask it always in our Savior's name and for his glory. Amen. In our previous study of the book of Exodus, we had looked at chapter 7 and had seen how Moses and Aaron began their most challenging battle of persuasion with the Pharaoh of Egypt and to some part with Pharaoh's sorcerers or magicians as well, for they too were an essential piece of this battle as well since they were the emissaries of darkness who were with the Pharaoh pitted in battle against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was a battle, as we have seen, a battle that pitted good against evil, light against darkness, and the one true living God versus all of the false gods of Egypt, and not just Moses and Aaron, versus the Pharaoh. And though God had told Moses and Aaron that Pharaoh would not let Israel go, he nonetheless wanted them to continue with their mission of demanding Israel's release until the Lord had accomplished his systematic destruction of all of Egypt's false gods, all in retaliation for Pharaoh's defiant statement in Exodus 5.2, and he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And so God would now reveal to Pharaoh the hard way who God was and that he was not to be trifled with. Thus we see put in motion a plan to deliver Israel out of Egypt, a plan which involved 10 incredible miracles or plagues upon Egypt, all carefully designed to break Pharaoh's stubborn heart and to systematically destroy all of the false gods of Egypt in the process. Each of you has just received a list of these false gods and the plagues designed specifically to destroy them one by one. In chapter 7, we had the opening round with the rods of Aaron and the sorcerers being changed miraculously into serpents with Aaron's rod uh, swallowing the magician's rods as a foreboding that this contest would not end very nicely for the Pharaoh. 
But the first actual plague pronounced upon him was the plague of water being changed to blood. The Nile River of Egypt was their source of life and substance and sustenance. Without water, life cannot be sustained for very long. And so the Egyptians worshipped the Nile and the false god, as you can see on your list, Hapi, H-A-P-I, who was their designated deity of the Nile. He was the first to fall in defeat. And although the magicians were able in some small way to also duplicate the first miracle, they were powerless to return the waters to their original state. And so we ended the seventh chapter with Egypt in a state of emergency, for all of the fish in the waters died. And the river stank, verse 21 to 25. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. However, in spite of all of this calamity, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. Now we come to the eighth chapter of Exodus, and we see that after seven days had passed, God once again speaks to Moses and Aaron and instructs them of his next step. Verses 1 to 5. In this second plague, God would send an innumerable host of frogs upon the people of Egypt and Pharaoh. Now this is a most terrifying situation to be in. For the frogs came out of the river in such abundant numbers that they invaded their homes, their bedchambers, their beds, even under their covers, their kitchens, including their ovens and kneading troughs, so that the people could not cook nor bake. And the frogs even attached themselves to the people as well so that there was no escape from these creatures. Now this, of course, instilled great fear into the Egyptian people, as it would have instilled fear into each one of us here this morning to have frogs jump upon us and attach themselves to us. The normal nature of frogs in general is skittish. They, at the slightest movement of foot beside the river bank, jump into the water, fleeing for safety. But here it seemed that their nature was completely changed. They were in attack mode, so to speak, having no regard for their safety and absolutely no fear of the people as they invaded in such huge numbers. We are told in verses 6 to 7 of chapter 8 that Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. They covered the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt is a very large country, some 386,000 square miles to be exact. It is larger than our province of Manitoba, 
which is only 246,512 square miles. And the noise that these creatures would have produced by their croaking would not allow anyone to get a wink of sleep. Only in three other passages are frogs mentioned in the scriptures. Psalm 78, verse 45, and Psalm 105, verse 30, both of which talk about this very same event. And then in Revelation 15, verses 13 to 14, which presents the frogs mentioned there as evil spirits or demons coming out of the mouths of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet in order to gather all of the kings of the earth for the battle at Armageddon. And for the first time in their confrontation, the Pharaoh seems to relent and calls for Moses and Aaron to rid them of the frogs and says that he will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Verse 8. Now please notice three important things about this statement which Pharaoh makes. First, it is an acknowledgement that God of Israel is mightier than their false goddess Hecate, H-E-K-E-T-T, who was their goddess of frogs and fertility. She was unable to remove these frogs and to return them back to their normal habitat. And though the scriptures do not tell us everything here that the people may have done, we can be certain that they pleaded for help from their false deities, but to no avail. Secondly, Moses asked Pharaoh whom he would like for Moses to, uh, when he would like for Moses to ask God to destroy the frogs and to remove them from the houses so that they would only remain in the river, verse 9. Now this is significant, of course, as well, because Moses gives Pharaoh the opportunity to choose the exact time for their removal so that there would be no question that God did the removing. For he tells Pharaoh in verse, uh, I think it's 10 or 18, I can't read my writing, be it according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Tomorrow it is. And thirdly, to show that these frogs were real, they were indeed destroyed. They died. And as a result, they had to be gathered up in great heaps and piled up. And the land stank. Evidence that this was real and not simply an illusion. But perhaps there is even a fourth observation that we can make here. When this ordeal of the plague of frogs was finally removed, Pharaoh reneged upon his word to let Israel go and once again hardened his heart, just as the Lord said he would. There is a twofold lesson here for each one of us this morning to learn. We too, 
in times of distress are known to cry out to God to remove the distress from us. And we often vow to do such and such if only he would help us in this situation. But more often than not, when the distress is removed and we have been given the reprieve which we begged for, we go back on our word, don't we? That should not be so, for it only makes things worse for us. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. Sooner or later, God will always have his way, and it behooves us to learn that so that we do not suffer unnecessarily for our stupidity. Then it seems, without warning, verse 16, that the Lord brings the third plague, the plague of lice. Aaron smites the ground with his rod, and immediately out of the dust of the earth come lice in such huge numbers that they too covered the land of Egypt. But these were very painful lice. They attached themselves to both man and to beast. And when the magicians tried to do the same, they found that they could not. Verse 19. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now what did they mean by this is the finger of God? Four times this expression is used in Scripture. Exodus 31.18 and Deuteronomy 9.10, both referring to the stone tablets which Moses received and then in the New Testament, in Luke chapter eleven twenty, the Lord Jesus says, But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. To the hearers, it meant only one thing, that God himself was doing this or doing that. When Moses brought the tab tablets of stones, down from the mount, they are described as being written by the finger of God. That is, God himself personally wrote them with his own hands. When Jesus in Luke eleven twenty says that if he, with the finger of God, casts out devils, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, if God is doing this himself, with or by his own hands, then God and Jesus must be the one and the same. Thus, in Exodus 8:19, when the magicians could not duplicate nor remove the plague of lice, they acknowledged that the power behind this miracle was divine. It was Almighty God himself who was the author and not the powers of darkness 
which fueled their incantations. And so another false god has fallen, Geb, G-E-B, the Egyptian god of the earth, since he was unable to undo what the one true living God brought to pass. It is also at this point in the struggle between good and evil that the magicians are removed from the struggle. They no longer stand in opposition to Moses and Aaron, but now become part of the casualty list in future plagues, as we shall see. Nevertheless, Pharaoh still hardened his heart and would not listen. We then have between verses 19 and 20 a pause of time. How long we are not told, as we are not told how long the periods of time were between the other plagues. It could have been shortly after the plague of lice, hours later, or it may have been several days. We don't know for sure. And what is also uncertain here is whether Moses removed the plague of lice or whether they dissipated gradually themselves, causing the Egyptians to endure their torment that much longer. That is also something that we need to remember. The Egyptian people at large have been enduring a great amount of suffering because of these plagues. And rulers who care about their subjects would have by this time relented on their behalf. We remember King David, who loved his people and cared about their welfare as much as could be expected from a benevolent ruler. In 2 Samuel 24, when David sinned against the Lord in numbering the people, the Lord sent a pestilence that decimated David's people. And so David pleaded with the angel of destruction in 2 Samuel 24, verse 17, Lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. You see, dearly beloved, the difference between a good king and an evil king. David was brokenhearted when he saw the damage that his sin had caused his people and pleaded on their behalf, willing to allow God to have his way with him. But Pharaoh, on the other hand, hardened his heart and would not listen. And so the Lord once again instructs Moses and Aaron to arise early in the morning. Again, we're not certain of the time period here, but early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Verse 20. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants and upon thy people and into thy houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground whereon they are. He warns Pharaoh that there will be so many flies throughout the land that even the ground will be covered with them. They will be walking on them and crunching 
myriads of these unnumbered insects under their feet. Now we are to understand that these flies were not the usual nuisance as our house flies, but these would attach themselves to the people as well. They would be aggressive, more of the painful, biting horsefly type that we are familiar with, the kind that leave welts and festering sores behind. Not only that, but to demonstrate the unlimited power and control of the God of Israel, he would put a division between his people, Israel, and the Egyptian people. God put a barrier around the land of Goshen in which Israel dwelt, so that not a single one of these insects crossed into their territory, demonstrating his complete sovereignty and power over his creation. This approach would destroy another false deity from the collection of Egypt's false gods, Kepri, K-H-E-P-R-I. Their god of creation would be completely rendered useless and exposed as a false god who only existed in their vain imaginations. The Bible clearly states that the whole land of Egypt was covered with these creatures, so much so that the land was corrupted. We read in verse 24, in other words, it was completely devastated and brought to a state of emergency, if we can imagine, while Goshen was completely untouched. There, the sun broke brilliantly through the white clouds, and the people suffered no effects of this plague. Then, when it seemed that Pharaoh might come to his senses and relent and keep his word to let Israel go three days' journey into the desert, he once again hardened his heart as soon as the plague of flies was removed and would not let Israel go. It would seem that the destruction of his land would not sway his mind either. Now, before we conclude our message, I would like for us to notice two more important things here that sometimes get lost in the shuffle. First of all, these little creatures, these flies, by nature, fly at random. They buzz to and fro with no discerning pattern or destination of flight. But the Almighty who created all things is able to reprogram their nature as he is able to also endow fallen man with a new nature through the new spiritual rebirth upon believing the gospel of salvation. The Bible reminds us that with God, nothing is impossible, Luke 1.37. And that if, if that be so, then all that God promises or threatens to do will come to pass. Therein lies the cornerstone of the Christian's faith. Secondly, Moses had an opportunity to compromise with Pharaoh on the location of the sacrifice in verses 25 to 27. 
Pharaoh proposes to let them sacrifice to their God in the land. But Moses refuses to give an inch and tells Pharaoh why that would be impossible. Their sacrifices, remember, would be sheep or lambs, among others. And that the sheep and the shepherd was an abomination to the Egyptian. As Joseph told his brethren way back in Genesis 46, 34. And if we were to do that, Pharaoh, your people would stone us. So he presses the issue with Pharaoh who then agrees to let them go into the wilderness three days' journey. But as soon as the swarm of flies was completely removed, Pharaoh once again went back on his word and refused to let Israel go. Thus we see that the faithful and the obedient servant of God refuses to compromise the master's instructions, regardless of how hopeless his situation may appear because God in the end will always have his way and those who disobey him will always reap the rewards of their actions. This then concludes our sermon for this morning, but as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this. Are you saved? Are you really a child of God this morning? Or are you still lost and facing a Christless eternity? If perhaps you have never been genuinely saved and have just been playing the game, I urge you this morning to re-examine your eternal destiny while there is still yet time. Turn from your sin of indifference and turn to Christ who died for your sins on the cross of Calvary. Trust him today as your sin bearer. He will not turn you away if you come to him by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee once again for this story of Moses and Aaron and the three plagues that were pronounced upon Pharaoh in this chapter. And Father, we're always encouraged that no matter how bleak the circumstances may seem, God always gets his way. And so, Father, we pray that we might, as we faithfully read thy word each day, that our faith might be strengthened in the one who wrote this book. Part us now with thy blessings, we pray, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together round his table next Lord's Day. For we always ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.